You're listening to This Rough Magic. I'm your host, Scylla Santiago. Each episode, I interview pagans and magical practitioners to learn about their faith and practice. Hold on, things are about to get rough. On today's episode, two beginners sit down to talk about beginnings. I'm joined by Isla, and we talk about a lot of things. Rookie errors, choosing a practice that's right for you, journeying, dreams, fear, and the consequences of baneful magic, which might not be the consequences you're expecting to hear about. Now, on with the show. Today I'm speaking to Isla. Isla has been a practicing pagan for four years now. Her practice is highly intuitive and just a little bit eclectic. Welcome to the show, Isla. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad you came on. It was really important to me to talk to somebody who was also beginning, so I can get that kind of perspective. It really is valuable because I've been looking for advice, um, particularly on podcasts, and what we normally see are, you know, guests who are experienced, who know a lot, who have maybe made this into their profession. But what we don't get is the person saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But we were all that person. Oh, yeah. I was still that person after four years. <laughs> That's what makes you perfect. So I'm just really glad you're here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. I hope I can be helpful. I'm certain of it. I thought I would start by asking you about the very beginning of your practice. So what was your practice like right at the very beginning? I guess the very beginning would be when I got my deck of tarot cards. My only one, still. I'm very attached to it. And I didn't buy it because I wanted to divine. I bought it to help me with my creative writing. And it all just kind of snowballed from there. I just kept getting pulled deeper and deeper into everything. And here I am, still being pulled deeper. What made you stick with it? I think the beginning was very innocuous, but the path itself to getting deeper into magical practice very conveniently laid itself out in front of me. The tarot cards piqued my interest. And then meeting people who actually did more than just tarot, who had information, piqued it even more. And it felt like I was being led by my finger into this whole world of new things. How did you know it was the right thing for you to be doing? Uh, it came very easily. The motivation and the passion for it came very easily. I didn't feel like I was forcing myself to do something that would benefit me. Kind of like how work can feel like that sometimes. Writing feels like that sometimes. But this feels like it's still full of mystery and things that I can explore. It reminds me of when I hear people talking about burnout witchcraft burnout I always think that's stupid if what you're doing is burning you out then then what are you doing it for <laughs> this should be something that's enriching and that's adding to you and giving your your life depth and purpose it's it's not an office job why are you burnt out if you're burning out stop do less I think that if you experience magical burnout whatever you're doing probably isn't working for you and you need to try and find a different vision 
or, or something else that fits who you are and how you function better. So if you have to force yourself to do it, it's not going to give you the kind of results that you deserve from the work you're putting in, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's some really good beginner advice because if you feel like you're banging your head against a wall and that you've got loads of obligations, then it's not for you. But you need to take the step to then say that to yourself and try something else. Yeah, yeah. So what what did you do in the beginning? You say you started with tarot to help you with your creative writing. So I guess I'm asking, what was your first ritual? What was your first practice? Like, what did you do? I had a friend, a really good friend. I'm still really good friends with them. But they had this whole part of their life that they hadn't told me about because they were also not very knowledgeable about it. They come from a line of spirit mediums that they themselves aren't practicing. But because of their lineage, they had a lot of, not unwelcome, but they, they've had quite a few experiences in their life. And there's a weird stigma around people who have these gifts. And they hide it when it comes to making friends for, for reasons that are probably quite obvious. So they had this whole world that they hadn't told me about and when I started talking about the things that I was interested in, they started talking about the same kinds of things. And it led to them bringing me on a kind of a spiritual journey. How was that? It was incredible. I didn't really know what was going on when I was doing it. I just thought, wow, this is really cool. This is so vivid and immersive is this really just happening in my brain my imagination can't create textures and whole creatures like this so I was very it was really profound of an experience for me and it really kicked me into gear kicked me into really exploring what magical practices could offer me so that that really got it going so what did you do then I wanted to try more journeying. I tried, and I'm still trying, astral projection. I can't really fully project. I'm much better at journeying than I was, although that's only a very recent development. That's only happened in the past few months. The first few years of my practice were mostly spent on gathering knowledge about theory, about different belief systems, about different structures, magical structures that might suit me and my natural abilities, and also discovering what my natural abilities are and what I'm naturally inclined to do. So I'm not trying to fit myself into different boxes that just aren't the right size for me. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think when people start out, so I sort of had a false start. And when I started out, <laughs> I just barreled in with, uh, I'll do this. Uh, I'll do a spell. <laughs> and it was rubbish. <laughs> it's because I'd, I'd done no actual research, no deep diving. I hadn't taken the time to think about myself and what my, I guess, my personal metaphysics were and what I actually cared about. Yeah, that's the same mistake I made. And <laughs> it took me a while to realize that I need to learn about myself before I start trying to learn about things outside of myself, if that makes any sense. Well, that makes total sense. It's the old adage of know thyself. The initial excitement is so strong and the initial 
pressure as well. Like I have to start doing something. Um, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to observe the moon phases. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But none of it really meant anything until I started, I guess, I guess some people call it a grounding practice. It's taken me until recently to realize what grounding is. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, embarrassingly enough, it's only recently that I figured it out too. (laughs) But this is the thing, right? I think this is how everybody starts. We start enthusiastic and excited and anxious and afraid and it takes us a bit of getting used to it before we stop and actually start yeah yeah it takes a lot of just climatizing just understanding what this work actually feels like what Mm. a practitioner of this kind of work how how they actually go about doing things and why and where and what kinds of people are inclined to certain kinds of paths and which one will give you what you need to feel more whole, I guess, for you to get that kind of fulfillment out of it. So you're not just doing it for the aesthetics. You're not just doing it because it's cool right now. You're doing it for yourself so that you can feel more whole. Yeah, it goes without saying nobody wants to be a TikTok witch or Pinterest pagan. (laughs) Jar spells. (laughs) I mean, you you certainly can, but you're not going to get what your soul needs out of that, I think. That's the mistake, isn't it? And I'm I'm not going to be super judgy about it because it brings people in and some of them will stick with it, most of it won't because they'll have a little phase they'll have their aesthetics making their jars or whatever it is they're doing and then they'll get bored and whatever but some of them are really craving something yeah and there's so much misinformation out there and tiktok is so it's really bad for it it kind of encourages people to do things for the wrong reasons and to just jump into spell work without putting any forethought into it putting any kind of emotional thought, thinking about why you're doing something, what part of you is pushing you to do this, and whether you can take that and use it to learn more about yourself. Yeah, that's the key, I think. Um, It's not enough to, I don't know, say oh i want a new boyfriend so i'm going to worship aphrodite and i'm going to do a love spell ah ha ha get me a boyfriend (laughs) you know okay um you could do that but i don't know if you you well you might get what you want but it's just gonna lead to more troubles in the end because Mm. you're not doing the work you're not doing the emotional work and the Mm. spiritual work that you need to do the question is why why do you want to do this? And I think you need to be able to answer that question. I mean, you probably won't be able to answer it immediately, but you will be working towards the answer. And I, I don't get too mysterious about it because I realise what we're talking about sounds incredibly mysterious and vague. A friend, well, someone who's become a friend now, when I first started with paganism, um, asked me, why are you doing this? What do you hope to get out of it? And I answered very honestly, I want to live a more engaged life. Oh, yeah. 100% agree with you. You want to really just 
involve yourself in the world around you just get immersed because that's like the whole point of life yeah in my perspective you're here to grow your soul you're here to become a strong soul completely agree and magic is really powerful for that kind of you could become a monk and relinquish all of your desires and live chaste or you could do magical work and i think magical work is so it's like a roller coaster it's what works for you right i mean maybe you do a few spells and realize oh actually i want to be a nun <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that is what you do nuns have done more unexpected things nuns live pretty sweet life nuns and monks anyway it depends on what you're going to get out of it i mean, I mean one of the questions i wanted to ask you is why paganism because we might be able to get get our spiritual needs served through, I don't know, Buddhism or Catholicism, or why is it paganism? So I went to a Catholic high school, and I really tried to be a good Catholic, because I had nothing else to do. I might as well just give it a good go. And it didn't give me much, honestly. It didn't connect with me in the way that I think it's intended to. So I, w- I became very disillusioned with religion as a whole. And then I, well, I, I learned about how gods of mythology were venerated and what they could do for their patrons. And my understanding of religion kind of evolved. Instead of there is this one god that you must worship, none of the others, my approach became, well, what god do you think would be able to help you? Because the concept of the source involves everyone is one. We're all one. We all came from the same place. We're all going back to the same place. We're all, it's all the source. So if that's the case, then all of these gods are just different faces of the same source. So in that case, you approach the correct god for what you need for yourself. If you want to learn, for example, how to love yourself more, you could maybe go to a god or goddess of love and they will teach you or maybe show you how you could love yourself better and that made more sense to me and I'm not saying it's the correct way to live but it's the way that seems to work best for me but I think that's the key you need to think about god and gods the divine what that actually is to you and be very honest about it and build up a picture of what feels real and right. Yeah. Religion isn't about who's right. It's not about which religion has it correct. It's about which religion offers you the most, which religion fits you the best, which which one can teach you the things that you need to learn. Because they're all essentially teaching the same thing. They're not worshipping the same things, but they're teaching you the same lessons, more or less. But by different ways, um, I had a conversation about this recently, like, why am I not Christian? Specifically, why am I not Catholic? When I am so inspired by aspects of Catholicism and I feed into my own practice. And there are some points of the theology which I don't need. I get those lessons another way. For, for instance, again, not to be too mysterious and vague, the goal, yeah, I guess the goal of every religion is to become like unto God is to realize that which is divine in you and to become more that. 
the, the elevation of the soul. And in that, Catholicism is no different to paganism. But they go at it through so such completely different routes. For example, guilt is a huge part of Catholicism. And I'm not about to do the common thing and shit all over that. It's, it's really useful because it identifies that within you, there is something that needs to be better. You are not yet like unto God and to not forget that and to always strive for it. But the difference is I don't feel like I need the guilt to learn that lesson. And paganism is all about developing the self and one's power through various means. And when I say power, it's that strong soul, how to become a strong soul. And that's what makes you like unto God is that development. Yeah, I have the same, I reckon, the same reaction to using guilt to help you. Guilt has done nothing but slowed me down because it makes you, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're feeling really guilty about doing something, for example, you feel really guilty about not calling your mum back, just an example, but that guilt keeps you from calling her back. (laughs) The guilt gets in the way of you doing the things that you want to do because you feel guilty about the fact that you're not doing them. It's unnecessary. I feel it's a step that gets in the way for me. Yeah, I agree. But the point I'm trying to make is just that we're going to the same place, but through different means. And when you're starting out with paganism, I think realizing that you're going in that direction is really important. And you also need to figure out how you're going to get there. Yeah, and you got to find the right... Well, I don't really like using the word religion because it's not really all-encompassing. The right methods, the right lessons that will get you to that place. The ones that really resound with you, or resonate with you, sorry. You mentioned journeying earlier. I think it'd be a good time to talk about the practicalities then, since we're on that note. What methods have you been using? Yeah, what has stuck, what hasn't stuck? I've realized that forcing myself to do things, of course we talked about this earlier. Yeah, don't don't force yourself to do things. It's not going to it's not going to help. It's just gonna stress you out. I kept forcing myself, or not forcing. I kept trying to make my make my visions sit a certain way, doing it a certain way, because I thought this was how it was supposed to be done. My visions and visions, I suppose, in general, they don't like being controlled. You have to let them wash over you, I've discovered. You have to let them come to you and don't try and grasp at them. Just let them be themselves. Yeah. I want to say something about this because I'm not so lucky as to have what I would describe visions, but I think I know what you're talking about. When when I want to receive some sort of revelation, I'm already planning what the revelation is going to be. (laughs) And then I'm expecting to get it. I'm like, all right, God, hit me. I know what's coming. (laughs) But but then, of course, nothing happens because what you're actually doing is just fantasizing and imagining and distracting yourself. What you really need to... (laughs) What you really need to do is just shut up, get over yourself, sit down and listen. Yep, just let it wash over you. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's really just a punch in the face, but... (laughs) 
But it's part of it. It's part of it because um, my practice involves a great deal of quiet contemplation and meditation. And yeah, a thought will come in or I'll find it difficult to focus or whatever, but I just sit there for as long as it takes until I get a hold of myself and that's fine. It doesn't matter if I can't clear my mind. I'll get there. Maybe one of the things I learn is when my when my mind doesn't want to settle, when it doesn't want to go to that place, it wants me to think of these things specifically. I will lean into them a little bit just to see if there's anything that something within me is trying to teach me about them. And yeah. sometimes that leaning in just a little bit, just giving them that space and that time for me to just contemplate it for a bit is enough for me to let it go. What is journeying? Can you elucidate that? I've come to call it journeying, but in all honesty, it may it may be something else. But from my understanding, it appears to be most like what my friend who does core shamanism would call journeying. Young would probably call it active imagination. It's allowing your mind to take you on an adventure. It's a little bit halfway between astral projection and daydreaming. It's kind of a little bit of both in that you're not leaving your body, but you are exploring a space which is very similar to the astral realm, but is still very much influenced and shaped and connected more so than the astral realm normally is to your 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 imagination and it's a very good space to learn about yourself and the things that you're worrying about at the moment i do it every morning after i do yoga i lie down in shavasana and i try and journey it doesn't always work because doing this every day you got to expect things not to go the way that you want them to go every day but when it does work and when i do learn something it really helps me figure out what to do next in my practice and how I should be doing things and how I should be conducting myself. How do you tell the difference between a revelation like that and an imagining? Or can you? It it can be really vague sometimes, but I, I write everything down that I see. I have a little notebook that I write everything, everything down in. And if something in my everyday life reminds me of something that I saw in one of these visions, I can go back and I can see what happened. A lot of my time journeying is spent being different animals. And I can look at or learn more about that animal to figure out what my subconscious is trying to teach me. So I've been a lizard almost every day for a week now. And That's a sentence. Lizards... <laughs> no. <laughs> lizards are very enduring animals. Some of them can regrow limbs, regrow tails. They live in some of the most desolate climates on Earth. They're, they're very enduring and they're very good at surviving. And right now I'm really struggling with worry and anxiety over losing one of my pets. She's in the house. She's in the walls somewhere. And I this can smell snake. it sometimes, yes. <laughs> and she's been gone for a few weeks and it's really stressing me out. So the fact that I've, I'm being turned into a lizard every morning, which is one of the most resilient and long-lasting, or their species is long-lasting, 
enduring. It's telling me to endure. It's it's really reassuring. I can really relate to that, but but in a different way. Because I I said that my practice involves a lot of quiet contemplation. I I couldn't do what you do because no, because I I try to do the whole visualization thing. It's like paganism, witchcraft, whatever, one one. I'll visualize like <laughs> visualize a what is it like a golden root connecting you to the earth. And I. It felt stupid <laughs> and it never felt it never felt real and I couldn't do it and I found it annoying. But I my one personal advantage is that I'm incredibly pig headed and I'm incredibly stubborn. And my reaction wasn't, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I need to learn to do this. It was, I'll do this a different way. This is dumb. So what I do is I I talk to myself. I how do I put this? I don't talk, I whisper. Because I I tried talking out loud once because, you know, I heard somebody say, oh, you need to be loud and proud about this, blah, blah, blah. And I did it and I didn't feel stupid so much as mundane. And something about whispering, it has that not quite here between the worlds feel. So I will talk to myself and I, I will call up symbols, images, epithets, and I'll find myself really starting to concentrate and forget where I actually am and sometimes I'll start saying things I didn't mean to say and that's when I know I've hit the vein where something sort of comes to mind and I say it but I think part of that is because my day job in in my other world when I'm not being a, a pagan is I'm a poet and I'm a teacher of poetry I've spent my entire life cultivating the facility of inspiration which is really the same thing as intuition because you have to let it come and then you have to discern what's valuable. And it's, it's a very automatic operation for me, but only because I've spent years on it. And it's one of the things that gave me a lot of confidence beginning. And I'm only recently realizing the extent of this is I may be new to paganism, but I am not new to the core concepts, the, the core skills. Like they are very familiar to me. I've been leaning into those rather than trying to do what Pinterest tells me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making it work for you. And I and inspiration is it can be so powerful. And knowing how to tap into it mm. is is incredible for magical practice. And I think it's important as well to recognize that you know we are gonna do it in different ways. Me and you are gonna get to the same place through different routes, and that's fine. When I first started trying to ground myself, and I think I told you about this when I was still figuring it out, I was trying to do what everyone told you to do when you grind, grind. I was grinding my brain into the ground, really. <laughs> trying to do the roots thing wasn't really, was, it, it was really halfway working for me. It felt very forced. My mind wanted to do other things. So I finally said, you know what? Fine. You want to do other things? We're going to do other things. What do you want to do? And that's when I started becoming animals instead of roots. And it was so much fun. I was looking forward to it. Every morning I'd wake up and I'd be like, yes, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do today. I'm going to eat a bug and it's going to be really gross. Ugh. It's It can be really vivid. But some parts of the experience of being an animal are really gross. You don't want to taste it. 
but you you do and it's very anyway <laughs> it's incredible to me that you have such vivid visions that engage the senses like that i've i've been i've been warned about shape shifting i was warned that it can be very overwhelming and it can be but i'm i'm going to put a disclaimer on this practice this feels like something i was I was handheld into doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. My spiritual guides, which I do my best to listen to and really engage with, it felt like they were holding my hands through all of this. It felt like I was, you know, those those little walkers that they put babies in so that they can walk around the house and they bounce (laughs) off the walls. It felt like I was in one of those. And they were kind of like, okay, we're going to put you in this animal. You're not going to feel... You're not going to be overwhelmed by smells and sights and sounds. You, you're going to kind of feel them, but they're not going to kind of attack you the way that they could. You're not going to be completely overwhelmed. But sometimes they do kind of, when I mess about, they, they do kind of just let me, okay, yeah, you want to you feel that? Okay, you can feel that. Sure. It's all your problem now. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for taking things slowly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm in no rush with my practice. Yeah, I, I've learned to take things slowly, very slowly, at my own pace. Because I, I, I call it Icarus Syndrome, and I thoroughly regret jumping into things. And it's I, luckily, it's not burnt me too hard in my magical practice. But in, in my actual life, it's burnt me pretty hard. I've gotten quite a few injuries from being an idiot. But Well, this brings me on to one of my questions. What are some of the mistakes you've made? I have let my impulsive emotions guide my decision-making in magical workings. And that can go either of two ways. Either it fizzles out and nothing really comes of it, or it comes back to bite me really hard in the ass. And it's not magical repercussions that comes to bite me in the ass it's my own emotions that come after me it's not this kind of magical monster coming to get me it's it's me coming to get me or like that the rule of three you know it will come whatever you cast will come back three times as hard that's not that is it not bad luck it's you coming to get you at least in, in my experience i try not to do magical workings for terrible reasons but the paranoia. I like to imagine that there's a guide catching all of the stupid things that I do and throwing them back at me. No, you're not you're not putting this into the world. You can unpack that in your room. Go. Yeah, well there's so many things people do spells for. They they don't need a spell for that. It's like if you want to confront your demons, you don't need to light a candle and burn some cinnamon. You need to actually sit with yourself. And that that's the first thing you should do. Yeah, you can't really spiritually bypass things. You need to unpack them. Otherwise, you're not really going to benefit from them. These things happen sometimes for a reason. And it's an opportunity for you to learn more about yourself and the world. It's the way I started, actually. I I started with that rather than rushing into it. I said I had a false start. Then I had a real start. And this is how I started. I started by taking the things I was afraid of and trying to make friends with them. Well, I didn't want what scared me to scare me anymore. And my practice has been developing in line with those things. So each time I feel I've become acquainted with a fear, I will push to the next one. 
and make friends with that one. And eventually, my goal is not to be fearless, not to no longer be afraid, but to only fear as much as is appropriate and to know how much is appropriate and when. Because there are things you should be afraid of. Yeah, I agree. The point is not to let that fear control you or consume you. Exactly. This is how to become... This This is how I intend to become a strong soul. Yeah, I was terrified at the beginning of my practice. That first journey, spiritual journey that I got taken on, was eye-opening in so many ways. Not only was I now aware of this whole other world, this whole other universe that was just there the whole time, but also of so many new threats that can come and get me. And I was terrified, terrified of astral projection. I was terrified of just beings that were invisible, but were all around me all the time, terrified of all sorts of things. But I kept trying things and I I kept trying to reach out and I kept trying to get in contact with my ancestors and with my guides because I wanted I wanted actual spiritual help I wanted people to support me to help teach me how to do things properly and you really have to get used to the fear and just explore the fear and compare that to actual real experiences and Mm -hmm. real evidence of what it's actually like to be living in this kind of world yeah I think this is important because you get people fear-mongering. Oh, don't don't worship this god. Don't do this heathen practice. You'll unleash demons <laughs> and all of this. And, just, and everything is so scary. But I don't think there's any more of that in a pagan path than in any other. Like, for example, we'll go back to the Catholicism example. If you're Catholic, you believe in demons. You have to decide to live in a world in which there are demons. And I don't see how that's any different from deciding that you live in a world where you can contact the spirits of the dead. And do you need to be afraid of these things? I don't think you need to be afraid of all of them, but I think you need to know which ones to be afraid of. Yeah, that's true. I mean, all those years before realising all of these things, I had not been attacked once. Nothing bad spiritually had happened to me at all. So... Going forward, why should anything bad happen to me now? As long as I don't do anything really stupid. Yeah, apparently, I've up until this point, I've spent my life walking through ghosts and, I don't know, driving by fairies or whatever, and I'm not dead yet. Not, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And maybe I've had some strange things happen in my vicinity now. That's kind of the price for the practice that I've chosen to take. Well, this is the more engaged life, isn't it? Because you become engaged not just with this visible world, but you want to become engaged with the invisible world as well. I've really learned how to stand my ground now as well. I think three or four years ago, if something knocked something off of my shelf, I would be petrified. If something did that now... I would be kind of annoyed because who do they think they are coming in here knocking my things around? Don't see me coming into your place where you live knocking your things around. It changes your attitude, doesn't it? It does. I've said this when we've had conversations before. I've said this to you. I'll I'll say it again for the listeners. I'm jealous. When you tell me those things happen, it's it's such a dumb emotion. There are two things which will make you far from God. One is anxiety. The second is jealousy. 
And it's so dumb. I mean, I, I guess I mean it's it's quite friendly jealousy, but part of me is thinking, oh shucks, why don't I see a ghost? But I know when I eventually see one, I'm gonna probably die of fright. Yeah, yeah. I used to have this with my spirit medium friend. She she used to have all sorts of things happen to her constantly, and I'd be like, that's so cool. I wish I could experience those kinds of things. And then I did start experiencing those kinds of things. And I would shit myself. <laughs> it was terrifying. And she would laugh at me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know how I've got to this age and not had a ghost experience. But I swear everyone I've spoken to... I, not even in the pagan community, just everyone I've spoken to has a ghost experience but me. And, and yet here I am, like, come at me, spirits, I'm ready. And they ain't here. <laughs> oh, they'll come. <laughs> now that you're talking about wanting them to come, they'll come. <laughs> they can hear you. <laughs> well, I want to meet them. They're waiting for the right moment. I mean, they're probably already getting at me in my dreams. I have some wild dreams. Oh, well, there you go. I barely dream. It's very strange. Yeah. I have, if I do dream, it's very domestic, very boring, and I barely remember any of it. Yeah, I've, I've heard people say they dream that they're going to the supermarket and they buy some bread, and and that's their dream. I can have entire mystic apocalypses uh and i have of these incredibly complex theatrical narratives and the most intense emotions that it's not possible to feel them awake i call them grief dreams or um or pity dreams i have these dreams where something bad has happened to someone in the dream and i am completely inconsolable with pity it's like this ashes and sackcloth crawling on your knees kind of emotion, which I don't, I've never felt awake. I only feel it in my dreams. And those dreams feel very special. Wow. Oh, I'm so curious. Where did they come from? Oh, so many questions. Every time that there's even just a tiny answer in, in magical practice, it comes with so many questions. Well, part of it is we take these things seriously isn't it i mean you know anybody else could say oh it's just a dream you, you just have uh, an active dream life but maybe it's not i feel like i do a lot of my spiritual growth in my sleep that's so curious i wonder if sleep puts you at a certain kind of level spiritually that lets mm. you tap into things i think maybe yeah i mean i'm i'm talking about this a little bit in jest but Really, if I'm honest, I do want to take it seriously. Do you keep a dream journal? No. Oh. This sort of stuff, it happens so often that it doesn't seem worth recording. I'll just have another one. And they're not recordable. I, I'll, I'll have dreams, right? So imagine, I'll, I'll have dreams where I go into a building and it's endless, endless rooms which are elaborately 
decorated like imagine like the sort of wood carvings you get in a cathedral elaborate tiles i can i can go up to a tile and see every detail on the tile i i had a dream where i saw a bird in a cage i could see every feather on the bird and they're all glowing like a kingfisher and it's that level it it gets to it's like i've gone somewhere that's actually real (laughs) but you can't write that down perhaps you could kind of outline the the basic plot of the dream. Who knows? It might come in useful. Well, it's, the problem is the plot isn't what's useful to me in in the dream. It seems it's the emotion or or the the level of awareness is the thing that's significant. Anyway, we're talking too much about me. Um, I asked you about mistakes, but what have been your greatest successes? Mm-hmm. There is one spell that I did with two witches from North Wales, my home. They're very, very close, very close friends. We call ourselves a coven. We're not, we're not technically a coven. We're just three witches who are very, very close and have relied on each other for quite a few years. And something quite bad was done to me by someone that we all knew and thought that we could trust. So we got together and practiced some baneful magic against him. And that's been the most successful spell that I've ever done. And it's probably because there were two other witches with me and something from the woods, something, something else was there. I could not tell you what it was, but there was something else there. What does it feel like working with other people like that? I've never done it. It felt very reassuring because when you do magic, when you're doing it on your own, you only have yourself to fall back on, and maybe your guides if they're there with you. When you have other people around you, you feel reinforced. You feel, especially if you're all on the same page and you're all very passionate about this spell, you feel like you have that, I guess, community, that friendship, that reinforced companionship. You feel quite powerful as well. Not powerful as in that you're going to wield power of people, but powerful in yourself powerful in that you know that you can do this you know that you're fully capable of doing this and it's going to really influence the world whatever it is that you do but yeah that was a crazy night would you recommend it i would i understand that a lot of people much prefer doing solitary workings but if you can find people that you really trust and that you really feel that you could connect with doing a magical working with I would recommend it. It is really, it's a really nice experience. I found that it furthered my my deeper understanding of magic. How different forces can coalesce together and what that feels like. And it's really difficult to put that into words because it's less of an intellectual understanding and more of an emotional felt and spiritual, spiritually felt experience to be there and feel that kind of force. And I suppose really how far can you go when you're working on your own? There will be a limit, but when you're working with others? I think there definitely is, but there's a lot to say for working on on your own. Solitary workings can be very powerful, but if you really want, if if what you're trying to do requires, let me see if I can rephrase that. Well, can I have a go? Yeah, no, go ahead. It seems to me that one feeds into the other. You need to have the strong basis in your solitary work before you can really, not even, I was going to say throw your all into 
coven work. But it's it's not even that. You need to bring something to the coven. And if you haven't done the solitary work, what are you bringing? I think they go together. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very experienced when I did this spell. And it did come bite. He, it did come back to bite me in the ass. And like I said, it wasn't some it, it wasn't some magical force trying to fuck me over. It was just my feelings of fear and anxiety over what I had just done. Because I'd just done baneful magic. And I'd never done baneful magic before because I never thought it would be in me to do it. But in this particular case, it was the only thing that I could have done to have felt like I'd gotten my power back, that I was in control again. Yeah, I've heard that said about baneful work that it's the start of a healing process in that sense and yeah even if it's not successful like having done it is part of that step to to mend what was broken yeah but yeah like I said it was the first time that I'd ever done baneful magic and I was feeling really hung up about the fact that I had just done baneful magic well there's guilt involved isn't there yeah and it was it really ate me up that night it really it, it sent me into this very strange place, but I pulled through, <laughs> and the spell was successful. It was very successful in in the exact way that I wanted it to be successful too. I didn't want to just go around cursing people. It was a very specifically designed spell in that if this person was going to continue being the way that they were and continue causing the kind of destruction that they were causing, they would find their life becoming very very difficult for them and it did become very difficult for them until they were in a position where they could no longer cause that kind of destruction which is exactly what i wanted that sounds like it wasn't baneful in a curse sense that sounds like a spell for reciprocity i just want to fuck them over until they figure out what they're doing is wrong so they can't do it anymore i'm so glad you said that because i i can't see myself ever doing an actual baneful working in the sense that I decide to just fuck someone up. I mean, that's that's not me. I wouldn't do a thing like that. But what I would like to see is reap what you sow, which is really about is about making sure somebody learns not to make the same mistake again. Yeah, and understands the gravity of what they've done. And it only affects someone to the extent that they do wrong. Yeah. Because I don't want any more than that. I don't want to pile hurt on someone. That's the point. They're just putting more unpleasantness in the world. There doesn't need to be any more than there is. There's enough already. Yeah, and if they're struggling, if they're if they're in pain, it might drive them to do what they did again without any forethought, without any yeah. consideration. You feed the cycle. What's the point? You want to do some good, right? I don't even know if good's the right word. You want to be constructive. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe in 30 years, they'll have become an actual genuinely nice person that is the hope so i'd rather have than just some poor bastard suffering yeah i mean i'd feel horribly guilty about it i did this spell knowing that if they did decide not to do anything terrible ever again that they would be fine but it still ate me up inside the guilt of having caused harm no matter what the intention behind the harm was the, the fact that i had just put baneful energy out into the world really ate me up and in the nighttime all of your all of your more negative thoughts really come and attack you one of the pieces of advice i i give people in in that sort of situation is if you're going to do the bad thing do the bad thing don't convince yourself that you're actually doing a good thing you've got to take ownership of the fact that you did it and 
be prepared to say, yes, I did it. Yeah. Can't go around lying to yourself. And I hear about this, um, you know, another podcast and stuff is such and such did a baneful working and it's just so spiteful and petty and pathetic and it's just curse, 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 curse. Like, do you really mean a single one of those things? Is there any power behind that? Like, no. It's not helping anyone, least of all yourself. That's it. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out, if it was day one? Learn about yourself and what you feel would fit you. Also, reach out to your spirit guides. Reach out to your ancestors. Reach out to things on the other side that are inclined to help you. If you are religious, reach out to saints or your god for support, for help, for guidance. It's really useful to have friends on the other side. Don't just venture into it alone. They're there to help you, especially your ancestors. I highly recommend reaching out to your ancestors. They have invested interest in helping you. You're, you're quite literally their flesh and blood. And who knows, with all of the ancestors that us alive today have that stretch back across centuries, millennia, there's probably someone there who did practice magical, some kind of magical practice. If I can ask a practical question, what would that look like? How does one reach out to a spirit? Uh, just, just prayer, I would say. If you could, if you have something that's been passed down through the generations, like a practice or a prayer, something that connects you to your ancestors, even if it's an object, I would recommend making a little shrine, maybe. But if you have nothing, you can just pray. Just pray and call out to your ancestors, known and unknown. Just speak from the heart, ask for help, uh, tell them what you would like to do, ask for guidance. Prayer is underrated. Oh yeah, prayer is so important to me. I wouldn't be where I am at my at, at this point of my practice without prayer. Well, the thing is, you can't put prayer on Pinterest. So you, you, maybe you can put some shitty little poem on Pinterest, but it's not a prayer. Doesn't quite capture. No, the the actual work of prayer is so private and unglamorous and internal. You can't prove to anyone that you were doing it. It's something that just happens between you and your God. Mm -hmm. And it's a very important reflex, too, the reflex to pray about things, especially if it's not done out of a sense of anxiety or worry. It's done out of a sense of, hey, I'm here. I, I'm thinking about you and I'm yeah. appreciating what you're giving to me, whatever that may be. I think of it as communion. And I think a lot of people, they... They buy all the statues, they have all the gods, I've got all these altars to the 13 gods or whatever, and this, this, this. But they're not actually talking to any of them. They're not embodying anything about any of those gods. There's no actual relationship there. It's it's like it's like they're Pokemon or something. you got to collect them all. Yeah, it's kind of like this, this idol that they've created in their mind, which isn't the actual thing. It's like their amalgamation of the thing. 
which I suppose is kind of the thing, but it's, it's a fraction of what it could be. And it's not going to give you that kind of profound connection that it could give you because you've decided to encapsulate it into this, this, this small being that it, it really isn't. Yeah, like the real prayer isn't putting the rose petals in front of the statue. The real prayer is the stuff that you do within yourself, between you and your God, that no one can see. And it's a skill. I found one thing that was really helpful for me and is still being helpful, I'm still learning about it, is the blessing of tools. I remember first hearing about oh, you consecrating this and that. It was a very Wiccan context, but I thought, oh God, how on earth do you consecrate? And then I realized you just pray over it. <laughs> you, just, you pray for a, a blessing. You you take your tool, whatever it is. Um, let's say it's a, a a necklace, and you want to create a protective charm. You take that, and you say, "This is what I want to use this tool for," or, or better yet, "This is what you are for." I invite the blessing of of this God, and then you sit with it. And if you want to get fancy, you can put some oil on it or whatever. But the the thing that actually does the magic is the prayer. And I find, I'm going off topic a bit, I suppose, but I find tools really helpful because I feel like I can't do it on my own. At this stage, I feel like I need help and a, a tool is a help and a medium. And then eventually I hope to build my skills up to such a way where I don't need the tool anymore. Yeah, that's that's the whole point of tools. Um, Olivier is very adamant that tools are there to help you, not to, to hinder you. Because a lot of people can be overly reliant on their tools, and it's a very easy trap to fall into. But like you said, they're not there to be a crutch. They're there to be something you have to rise above. They're useful for a time to help you. It's not that you can't do this spell, this ritual, without your magical conch or whatever. Um, the, the magic is coming from you. And the connection between you and the divine is being held up by you. It's helpful to have an intermediary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially at the beginning, while you're still getting used to the feeling of things. The importance of tools, the amount of help that you can get from using tools is is really, really useful. It, it's physical and it's real and it's visible. Because as important as prayer is and, you know, the internal is, it's so easy to lose faith in it and to think oh no, this is all in my head. Oh, this isn't real. I haven't done anything. But a tool keeps you there. Mm, keeps it grounded in a way until you can learn to do it from within. Yeah. As like you hold your wand or whatever and you think, I'm really doing this and this helps me do it. But then once you have the confidence, you no longer need that. Yeah. I, I guess that's the advice I would give. <laughs> Some of the advice, I'm sure I've got more. Some of the advice I would give to a, to a beginner is have a go at using tools first got your training wheels yeah oh and also altars aren't as hugely important as you might think thank you i have an altar i barely use it it's just this <laughs> decorative thing that i have most of my magical working is done on the living room floor <laughs> just me lying on the living room floor so altars can be incredibly useful they're really not a necessity again it's one of those things that looks good on pinterest mm. oh yeah they can be really pretty they can be really inspiring but 
in terms of magical workings and magical work, not as necessary as you might think. My altar is my coffee table. It's not big. It's not grand. I just have I have my candle. I have a few items that call up whatever it is I want to focus on. You know, for example, I've got a, a really nice palm-sized piece of flint, which is super sharp. I like that. Um, I might have a crystal. I have a magpie skull, which is one of my tools that stays there. And maybe I'll have some flowers in spring. Maybe I'll have some holly in winter. It's very small. It's very modest. And it serves as a sacred place to go to, to focus my activity. It's a place where I can give an offering or perform a spell. It's not some grand aesthetic flowers, skulls and bones, candles, I'm on TikTok kind of thing. <laughs> I don't need anybody to see what I do. And what I do doesn't need to be flashy because it's for me and my God. Yeah. If it works for you and it does what you want it to do, then that's, that's all you really need. Yeah. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to show anybody. It's functional. I think doing it for doing magical practice for the, for the aesthetic can be a bit of a trap. Just if, if there is a slight inkling in your body that you're doing something pagan for aesthetics, stop it. Because it, it's not an aesthetic, it's not a fashion. It's, don't be an edgelord. Oh, I do love being strange in public, though. I was very private about my beliefs, but I keep wearing colourful clothing because I like it. I, I just can't help but be strange. It's taken over me. Well, that's something true to yourself. You're not trying to prove anything. That's true. I look more like, more like a hippie than I do a witch, honestly. I look like a nerd. <laughs> I'm just there in my jumper and jeans and my walking boots because they're the most comfortable thing. I just rock up. <laughs> Can I do some magic, guys? You can't be comfortable if you're doing magical workings. You can't be constantly distracted by your itchy belt or something. I've so far I've I've been to one public ritual and I hope in my life to go to many more, uh, but I haven't had the opportunity. But I went to a twelfth night ritual and I went there and everyone was beautifully dressed. And I had like cloaks and headdresses. And they were all so pretty and they they looked so magical. I was there in a yellow rain mac and my jeans. <laughs> and the moment the moment it started, so the lady hosting the thing started by calling in the elements. Is we you know we we welcome earth we welcome fire we welcome air as you got to we welcome water, the heavens opened and the heaviest range and nothing like ten minutes earlier we've been commenting on what a lovely clear sky it was and how we could see the stars just like boom and all of these people in their makeup and their headdresses were drenched and I'm there in my little yellow rain mark my pockets slowly filling with water but the rest have been dry. You're like, yeah, I did the right thing. <laughs> you, you, you were prepared for the emergence of water. You knew water was going to be there. You prepared. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. We but welcome I... water. Everybody gets drenched. Boom, yeah. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, paganism isn't something you perform. It's something that ultimately happens privately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Isla. Thank you for having me. I've had a wonderful time.
If you enjoyed this episode and would like the show to continue, you can support This Rough Magic by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thisroughmagicpodcast. For $3 a month, subscribers gain access to my private Discord community, where you can talk with me, my guests, and other listeners of the show. Or you can give a one-time donation at Coffee. That's K-O-F-I slash thisroughmagic.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. This helps new listeners find the show. This show would not be possible without your kind support. Lastly, if you'd like to contact me about the show, you can find me at thisroughmagicpod at gmail.com or follow the show on Instagram at thisroughmagic underscore podcast. Today's poem is taken from The Young Fate by Paul Valerie, translated by David Paul. Did heaven form this mass of marvels to be a serpent's dwelling place? Who is that weeping, if not simply the wind at this sole hour with ultimate diamonds? But who weeps, so close to myself on the brink of tears? This hand of mine, dreaming it strokes my features, absently submissive to some deep hidden end, waits for a tear to melt out of my weakness, and gradually dividing from my other destinies, for the purest to enlighten a broken heart in silence. The surf murmurs to me the shadow of a reproach, or withdraws below in its rocky gorges like a disappointed thing, drunk back in bitterness, a rumour of lamentation and self-constraint. What seek you, bristling, erect, and this hand of ice, and what shivering of an effaced leaf is it, persists amid you, isles of my naked breast. I am glittering and bound to this unknown heaven. The giant cluster gleams on my thirst for disasters. Omnipotent, alien, inescapable stars, who deign to let shine in the distances of time, something I cannot conceive, supernatural, pure, you who plunge into mortals to the depth of tears, O sovereign rays, weapons invincible, the shooting glances of your eternity, I am alone with you, shivering, having left my couch. And over the reef gnawn away by marvel, I ask my heart what pain keeps it awake, what crime committed against me or by myself, or whether the pain dogs me from a dream sealed up, when, the lamp's gold swept out by a velvet breath, with my dense arms pressed about my temples, I waited long and long for my soul's lightnings. All me? Yes, me entire, mistress of my flesh, stiffening with a shiver all its strange extent, and in my own tender bonds hung on my blood, I see me seeing myself, sinuous, and from gaze to gaze, gilded my innermost forests. <laughs>